small wonder won't be seen tonight, so we could bring you a very special episode of The Gen X Files. Welcome to The Gen X Files. I'm Jim. I'm Adam. And today's show is all about Matt Groening. Yeah. It's one of the most amazing stories ever. Yes. Absolutely ever. The story of The Simpsons. The origin of The Simpsons. I can't wait to get into it because it's one of my favorite origin stories yeah, of yeah. anything. It's incredible. So, take yourself back to 1989. Uh, February 3rd, Westinghouse closes down Filmation after 27 years. Uh, the name Filmation might sound familiar, especially if you're a Gen Xer. They made a bunch of DC animated shows in the 60s, uh, Star Trek the Animated Series, and a bunch of others in the 70s, and He-Man and She-Ra, along with a ton of other stuff in the 80s. Oh, yeah. Uh, Westinghouse sold Filmation to Par- uh, Paravision International, which is an investment consortium led by the French cosmetic company L'Oreal. Before that sale was complete, Westinghouse shuttered the film studio on February 3rd, 1989, which left L'Oreal with only the Filmation library. Arr. Didn't give them the ability to make new new stuff. This yeah. happened, and the only reason that I include all this is because it happened a day before the Warren Act went into effect, requiring companies to give employees 60 days notice before a mass layoff. Oh, what a bunch of jerks. Exactly. Man! <laughs> they came in under the wire. Yeah. Happy shareholders. You, you know they just circled that on their calendar, and they're like, no, we're going to do it now. Westinghouse isn't uh, the most no. <laughs> employee-friendly company. They they tried. It's just weird. Also, the other thing is that everyone always says L'Oreal shut down Filmation, which is technically true, but they're owned by Westinghouse. Right. So, like, it wasn't, you know. Well, Westinghouse is one of the well, – was they owned CBS yeah, for a long time? Exactly. And, and CBS Westing, Westinghouse CBS. Yeah, they try in the eighties. They bought a bunch of media stuff, mm-hmm. and they were trying to do other things. And because they would I, make fun, I think uh, yeah. you know uh, Letterman would make fun. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, know, yeah. Yeah. Because it's like an appliance. It's like, oh, now an appliance. I remember that when they bought them, and then Letterman was always, oh, an appliance company runs us now. We're just going to be hawking products. And uh, yeah, I mean, Thirty Rock kind of did that too yeah. with uh, yeah. their gig. Yeah. March 29th, at the 61st Academy Awards, Tin Toy by John Lasseter and William Reeves wins the Academy Award for Best Animated Short Film, becoming the first CGI film to win an Oscar. Yeah, and, uh, nothing ever happened to Lasseter. Guy just no, disappeared. No, he just went evening. away. November 14th, The Little Mermaid, directed by Ron Clements and John Musker, produced by the Walt Disney Company, premieres. I love the part when uh, she's in the water. And um, Rambo comes up, and all of a sudden her legs they turn into the fish part, and he's like, <laughs> "She got the legs! She got the legs!" Yes. Uh, and then I he sang of, that song about legs. I wish they had stuck with the original story where she got legs and could walk, but it felt like she was stepping on razors every time she did it. Yeah, and then they, she would sing that song. They would look at her as she was walking, and they'd be like. She got legs. <laughs> she knows how to yeah. use them. Yes. <laughs> December 17th, the first episode of the Simpsons television series titled Simpsons Roasting on an Open Fire is broadcast. It was te- technically a holiday special. It was kind of a, a – I, I think originally it was going to be a one-off, but anyway. The Simpsons is the longest-running U.S. primetime television series in history and the longest-running U.S. animated series in sitcom with – over 718 episodes produced to date. I have seen every single one. I have not missed one. And I'm talking first run. I've yeah. never yeah. missed one. I used to tape them. Yeah. My buddy Sean and I, we were roommates. We would, we were obsessed with The Simpsons. Oh, yeah. We, would, oh, yeah. we had these videotapes. Yeah. We would steal those black boxes from work, you know, those like serious yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. cases. And then we oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Our collection very serious. Um, 
I, I just watched the last episode yeah. on Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. I mean, everybody who is like, yeah. you don't watch it. They don't watch it. Yeah. If you don't watch yeah. it, you can't judge. They've had a, an influx of really great writers over the years. And they, yeah. that's the one thing that they do well is is they find a way to just make it weird and, and still and, fun. And it's still relevant after 30 plus years. Like yeah. it's still relevant. And, and it's still hilarious. It's yeah. still, yeah. you know, the, one of the funniest, consistently funniest shows on television. Totally. Totally. So, <clears throat> The Simpsons obviously was created by Matt Groening. He was born in, uh, on February 15th, 1954 in Portland, Oregon, the middle of five children. That explains a lot. Oregon. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> older brother Mark and sister Patty were born in 1950 and 1952, while the younger sisters Lisa and Maggie in 1956 and 1958, respectively. Some things are starting to sound a little bit familiar. This is why I included the names. <laughs> It's, it's a little, a little, hmm. His Norwegian-American mother, Margaret Ruth, maiden name Wiggum, <laughs> was born in 1919, and she passed in 2013. She was once a oh. teacher, and his Russian Mennonite father, Homer Philip Groening, who passed in 1996, was a filmmaker, advertiser, writer, and cartoonist. Nice. He was a man of many talents. Many uh, creative talents. Yes, exactly. This is something that... We're, this is like a lot with uh, Chuck Jones. Mm-hmm. You know, Chuck Jones' dad was a dreamer. Yes. You yes. know, but that's still a creative because he wants to create totally. something. So it's like, you know, these guys that have creative, encouraging parents, they seem to do all right. It's amazing how that works. Encourage <laughs> your kids, people. Uh, Homer, born in Maine Center, Saskatchewan, Canada, grew up in a Mennonite Plautdeich speaking family. Good lord. Yeah, I, I had to look it up because I had no idea what Plautdeich was. It's a low German language that is mostly spoken in Ukraine now. While his father could speak it, Matt never learned it. Uh, I just thought it was interesting because I'd never heard of it before. No, neither have I. Uh, it's a. It's not used very very much in anywhere anymore. Matt's grandfather Abraham Graining was a <laughs> professor at Tabor College, a Mennonite Brethren liberal arts college in Hillsboro, Kansas. The hell does that look like? A Mennonite liberal I... arts college. Okay. Um, <laughs> what we're going to learn here is sometimes you're going to use an oak plow, and sometimes you might use a birch plow. <laughs> Now, don't get all riled up if you're a birch man and you got to use a non-birch plow. It depends on the type of dirt. We have to be liberal in our teachings for our Mennonite liberal arts college. Uh, I wish we all could read. Eventually, Matt's grandfather, Abraham, moved to Albany College, which is now known as Lewis and Clark College in Oregon in 1930, which is where the family started and why they were in the Pacific Northwest. That's where people go to learn to be explorers. Yeah, exactly. Lewis and Clark College. By all accounts, Matt's childhood was relatively normal and to him, very dull. He recalled once having to write... I will be quiet in class. 500 times on the chalkboard. Good God! Which also sounds very familiar. And very... Uh, Cruel? Extreme. Yeah. Was, this couldn't have been in, in Libby, Oregon. Oh, no. I mean, it depends. <laughs> Oregon's got some was, weirdness up it there. It might have been that Mennonite school or whatever, <laughs> man. I mean, good God. that was, That's like torture on your poor little wrist. As much as his parents encouraged him, his teachers did not, because they would often catch him doodling and snatch them away, tearing them to pieces. Oh, this is such 
gorgeous revenge with every yes. episode yes. getting back at these teachers with his F.U. writing <laughs> on the thing. I just love this. In third grade, he entered a short story contest with the setup of a boy goes to his attic and hits his head and has an epiphany about he wants, what he wants to become when he grows up. Matt's entry involved the boy hitting his head and dying and coming back as a ghost every Halloween. While it was frowned upon. Hold on, hold on, hold on. What did he want to be when he he wanted to be a ghost when he grew up? He didn't care. He knew knew that the the story, even in third grade, he knew it was bullshit. Yeah. He knew it was dumb. Yeah. So he goes, okay, I'm going to do this instead. Okay. And, And his teachers were very angry with him, but he ended up winning the contest anyway. That is some, I... 100% 100% relate to that because, yeah. and you probably do too. I always think that there's a different way to look at things, yeah. and I hate doing yeah. things the way that everybody else yeah. does. So, yeah. I, you know, it's bullheadedness. It's stubborn. It's stupid a lot of times. I, but it's yeah. just the way that we think. We can't I, yeah. follow the the rules, well, you know? We pick up on the, the, the normal stuff so quickly, and then you're like, well, I already know that, so I'm going to do something else. It's like the spirit of the assignment. <laughs> It's, you know, he did. He captured that. Yeah, it's yeah. like, yeah. I mean, I I always went to the extreme, and sometimes you hit a homer, and sometimes yeah. you strike out. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I think the teachers probably, I would think, appreciated it because it was it it, it broke up the banal. I'm, my uh, our amazing <laughs> writing broke up the banality of, of being a teacher. I'm not saying that, but I am saying that yeah. you know, people yeah. that are weird and weirdos probably make it a little more interesting for teachers. Yeah. When I was in eighth grade, I was had to write a story about a certain word, and that word was defenestration, and I wrote the most gruesome story about a man being thrown out a window. Nice. And my teacher was like, I'm a little concerned for you, but this is very good. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the best, is when it disturbs them or they don't like it, but they can't help but praise it because yeah. it's done well. Yeah, exactly. exactly. That's victory. <laughs> in high school, Matt ran for student council president on the Teens for Decency ticket with the slogan, <laughs> If you're against decency, then what are you for? And he won. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. I think it's wonderful because it was you know he did it as a joke like, i don't it was know just man a joke. look he's a young kid right yeah. he's brought up in this yeah. mennonite family that's yeah. pretty close-knit i was pretty religious and stuff when i was younger yeah. yeah and i was class president but i was more like trump i didn't care about it. i just want to be class president because i like the title and i like the power <laughs> but i didn't want to do a damn thing yeah ask poor laser tag larry my oh. long-suffering vp <laughs> From 1972 to 1977, Groening attended the Evergreen State College in Olympia, Washington, a liberal arts school that he described as... A hippie college with no grades or required classes that drew every weirdo in the Northwest. Yeah, the Evergreen State College sounds something... The Evergreen (laughs) State College in Olympia sounds... Like something that would be on The Simpsons. Exactly. Exactly. It just doesn't uh, sound it doesn't real. Say, it does not sound real at all. It's like where Lisa in her, you know, <laughs> she ends forward yeah. goes to, you know. She would fit in very well there. Yes, she would. He served as the editor of the campus newspaper, the Cooper Point Journal, for which he also wrote articles and drew cartoons. You know, campus newspapers have the stupidest time. Oh. They're always so pretentiously dumb. dumb. Yeah. It's like, yeah. you know, National Lampoon. I don't remember what mine was. I... I don't remember what ours was either. I think it was the Hawk Journal or something like that. Ours was, was like the Terrier oh, Times. I no, think. it was the Daily Iowan. That's what it was. The Daily which is Iowan. Terrible. At your college, it was the Daily yeah, Iowan? Yeah, the Daily Iowan. Because I went to the University of Iowa. Sure, so but it's still like Iowan. an old man paper. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think we were like the Terrier Times in Boston. Oh, yeah. Nice. I don't know. I don't remember. Yeah. I, yeah. 
Uh, <laughs> he befriended fellow cartoonist Linda Berry after discovering that she had written a fan letter to Joseph Heller, one of Greening's favorite authors, and had received a reply. Ooh. Greening has credited Barry with being probably my biggest inspiration. He first became interested in cartoons after watching the Disney animated film 101 Dalmatians, and he has also cited Robert Crumb, Ernie Bushmiller, Ronald Searle, Monty Python, and Charles M. Schultz as inspiration. Man, I love Robert Crumb. Yeah. I love Monty Python, and I love Charles Schultz. Uh, R. Crumb, man. Yeah. What a weird, weird, yeah, weird strange man. Have you seen the documentary about Yes. Oh, yeah. Such a great, if you guys haven't seen the R. Crumb documentary and you want to yeah. see into the I mean, we're definitely going to be doing oh, yeah. Yeah, an yeah, Underground yeah, Comics sure. month, and he's going to be top of the heap. Um, yeah. But man, Ooh, he, was, baby. he was such a weirdo, but a, such a wonderful a weirdo. Wonderful weirdo. And, a, and a, just a menagerie of weirdos in his family. Like each of yeah. his brothers was. You know, anyway, it's yeah, just yeah. Uh, get, it, watch the R. Crumb documentary. It's a great it, it, prep for our show coming up in <laughs> 16 months. So in 1977, at the age of 23, Graining moved to Los Angeles to make a living as a writer. He went through what he described as a series of lousy jobs, including being an extra in the television movie when every day was the 4th of July, bussing tables, washing dishes at a nursing home. Clerking at the Hollywood Licorice Pizza Record Store. Nice. Landscaping in a sewage treatment plant. Not nice. And chauffeuring and ghostwriting for a retired Western director. Ooh, I wonder who it was. You know, I literally spent three hours trying to figure out who it was, <laughs> and I could not. He's never come out and actually said who it was. Sam Peckinpah. Well, uh, I, yeah. you remember that Simpsons episode with the old Western hero? Oh, and, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. They, the, they're trying to relaunch his career or something. Right, right. Uh, he did manage to get some work writing slogans for horror movies. Craning described life in Los Angeles to his friends in the form of the self-published comic book, Life in Hell. Nice. He would staple copies together and mail them to his friends, uh, which I, God, man, if ever was able to get a hold of one of those. Oh, yeah. Jeez. Uh, That'd probably be worth going to, you know, at oh, least a quarter of a million bucks uh, yes, or something. Yes, uh, yes. I used to do that, and I still have some of mine. You know what oh, they're yeah. worth? A dollar? No, nothing. Less, less than a ruble? <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Pay people to take it. <laughs> Greening also distributed the comic book in the book corner of Licorice Pizza, the record store in which he worked. He made his first professional cartoon sale to the avant-garde Wet magazine in 1978. Ugh. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like a, a weird men's magazine. Uh, the strip, titled Forbidden Words, appeared in the September-October issue of that year. That same year, Greening had gained employment at the Los Angeles Reader, a newly formed alternative newspaper delivering papers, typesetting, editing, and answering phones. Nice. He. Uh, this is the thing: is he he works his way up. Like yeah. it's not like he just suddenly was. You know, it was like no, he put in that work. Did you ever write for the Reader? No. Mm, no, I don't think so. No. Um, excuse me. Uh, he showed his cartoons to the editor James Vowell, who was impressed and eventually gave him space in the paper. Nice. Life is Hell, or sorry, Life in Hell made its let me start there. Life in Hell made its official debut as a comic strip in the Reader on April twenty fifth, nineteen eighty. Val also gave Graining his own weekly music column, Sound Mix, in nineteen eighty two. Sound Mix. However, the column would rarely actually be about music, as he would often write about his various enthusiasms, obsessions, and pet peeves and problems instead. In an effort to add more music to the column, he... Just made stuff up! Concocting and reviewing fictional bands in non-existent records. 
In the following week's column, he would confess to fabricating everything in the previous column and swear that everything in the new column was true. Eventually, he was finally asked to give up the music column. Nah. Yeah. Among the fans of the column was Harry Shearer, who would later become a voice on The Simpsons. A million voices. Yeah, well, yeah. Simpsons. <laughs> oh, yeah. Life in Hell became popular almost immediately. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I distinctly remember it being in my alternative paper in college. My buddy, uh, Jonathan Crosby, mm. uh, he was this awesome kid in, in, uh, in high school. There was this group of kids that were really smart, kind of alternative you know, they probably smoked a little weed. I don't know. <laughs> he did, but he, but super smart and just like they were the guys that like Monty Python and like, you know, they had all the alternative yeah. stuff down. And he and I got to be pals. He introduced me to the San Diego Underground paper that had Life in Hell, and right. it's just as soon as I read it, I just fell in love, man. Oh yeah, yeah, it was it was incredible. Uh, in November 1984, Deborah Kaplan, Greening's then girlfriend and coworker at the Reader, offered to publish. Love is Hell, a series of relationship-themed Life in Hell strips in book form. Released a month later, the book was an underground success, selling 22,000 copies in its first two printings. Yep. Work is Hell soon followed, also published by Kaplan. Graining and Deborah Kaplan married in 1986 and had two sons together, Homer, who goes by Will. <laughs> I bet he does. And Abe, both of whom Graining occasionally portrays as rabbits in Life in Hell. I own them all. Nice. Uh, Greening was fired from L.A. Reader in 1986, but by that point, the strip was appearing in other alt publications. Soon afterward, Kaplan and Greening left and put together the Life in Hell Company, which handled merchandising for Life in Hell. Greening also started Acme Features Syndicate, which initially syndicated Life in Hell, as well as work by Linda Berry and John Callahan, but would eventually only syndicate Life in Hell. Yeah, and those underground papers, they had the greatest comics. Like, I remember yeah. in college getting whichever, I, I, like I said, super forgettable names. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was always some sort of advocate, a reader, or, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, free press or some yeah, sort of, yeah. you know. It was probably the Boston Freep. The Weekly. Um, yeah, something weekly. The Freep. Because yeah. <laughs> uh, it's free press. They called it the Freep. It's Freep. Uh, but they would have uh, Life in Hell, and they would have Zippy the Pinhead. Zippy the Pinhead. And yeah. uh, they would have a couple others in there. Sometimes they would have Old R. Crumbs. Yeah. Since I spotted them, mm -hmm. I have loved comics and animation. And it's like that to me, being in college and discovering the underground comics, it was like, well, comics can evolve with me. Like, yeah, there's adult yeah. stuff that I can read that's, you know, about smoking dope and doing right, this kind of stuff right. and these crazy guys. And, you know, it was just so – it was kind of an epiphany to see that, that those kind of things can grow with you. And there's people that are creating things for adults as well. And you don't have to feel like such a big old nerd. Yeah, it, it, it definitely when I first discovered these, it was – because I loved the comic strips in the paper. Like, you know, it was great. But I realized that they very much have like arrested development, you know, where it's like – you can only have somebody like Pasquetti and Meatbulb so often, and you're like, I need something else. Like, right. I need more. Right. I'm growing up. I'm maturing. And that's where, like, R. Crumb and right. all these people come in. Yeah. The, the mainstream comics had to be uh, clever in different ways. Yes. In the yes. secret ways, which, you know, the better comics did. Bloom County, yeah. and Calvin and Hobbes. And even, and Peanuts. even Peanuts, yeah, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, just the, the, 
just the freedom of an right. underground comic and being like, there's boobs in this comic, you know? <laughs> it was so weird. Zippy the Pinhead, man, such a oh, bizarre. So weird. Life in Hell caught the attention of Hollywood writer, producer, and Gracie Films founder James L. Brooks, who had been shown the strip by a fellow producer. James L. Brooks, for those of you who don't remember, was the wonderkind, I don't know if he was young, but he was the wonder <laughs> yeah. of the 70s and 80s, uh, creating some of the greatest sitcoms, did mm-hmm. broadcast news, oh, nice, won nice. Oscar, you know, yeah. this guy was the guy of quality, you yeah. know, he was yeah. kind of the new Norman Lear in a way. Nice, nice. In 1985, Brooks contacted Greening with the proposition of working in animation on an undefined future project, which would turn out to be developing a series of short animated skits called Bumpers for the Fox variety show, The Tracy Ullman Show. Originally, Brooks wanted Greening to adapt his Life in Hell characters for the show. Of course. Yeah, that's what was popular. Yes. Greening feared that he would have to give up his ownership rights and that the show would fail and would take down the comic strip with it. So, Groening conceived of the idea for The Simpsons in the lobby of James L. Brooks' office and hurriedly sketched out his version of a dysfunctional family. Homer, the overweight father, Marge, the slim mother, Bart, the bratty oldest child, Lisa, the intelligent middle child, and Maggie, the baby. This is my favorite story ever. Because it's basically the last second. Any procrastinator. This is the worst story you can tell any procrastinator. Because they're like, see? Yeah, yeah. You know? And granted, he wasn't procrastinating. He just had a freak out because he didn't want to... And understandably so. I mean, this is just bumpers on a Tracy Ullman show on a brand new network. I mean, he was. This is how he was making his money. Exactly. And it's like he, if it goes away, then ooh. and there was absolutely no guarantee of success. Right. This was a third-rate right. network just starting up. People, you know, they knew Tracy Ullman from HBO, but mm, she was she proven for network. Yeah. So yeah, he freaked out and was like, "Well, I don't want to lose my my life's blood." Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Uh, my breads and butters. Yeah. Yeah. So in the last second, just it's like, "Well, I'm just going to rip off my family." <laughs> I, they literally just sketched and ripped off his family. And that last-minute sketch and decision became a 30-plus-year, multi-billion-dollar juggernaut. The most successful TV show in history is basically an afterthought. That is why I love this. (laughs) Literally sketched in a lobby. (laughs) And the the thing is, I know you're going to get to this, but I just – it goes with it. The fact that he just drew these crude, crappy sketches, you know, at the last second, and then he was like, well – yeah, you yeah. know these are just crew crappy sketches, but yeah. those are the ones that they used to yeah. animate the yeah. show. That they just took those actual original, yeah, hastily probably drew drew all of them in under five minutes. Oh, probably, and then even, under yeah. five minute work of just ripping off family and became the most successful thing on television. Thirty three years of animation, <laughs> I love it. This is why Hollywood is the best and worst. <laughs> Thing in the world yes, because it's yes. these unbelievable stories. It's unbelievable this story. Yeah, yeah, Gr- but it's uh, true. Graining famously named his the main Simpson characters after members of his own family: his parents Homer and Marge. Her name was Margaret or Marjorie, depending on who you talk to. <laughs> and his younger sisters Lisa and Margaret, uh, Maggie. Claiming that it was a bit too obvious to name a character after himself, he chose the name Bart, an anagram of brat. Nice. <laughs> However, he stresses that aside from some of the sibling rivalry, his family is nothing like the Simpsons. Well, no family is anything <laughs> like the Simpsons. They couldn't survive. Yeah, we're all kind of like the Simpsons. Yes, there's a little Simpsons <laughs> in all of this, but not no, 100%. But no, if, no. if you go full Simpson, man, oh, you, yeah, no. your family's either in jail or dead, and 
in six weeks. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Groening also has an older brother and sister, Mark and Patty, and in a 1995 interview, Groening divulged that Mark... Is the actual inspiration for Bart. Maggie Groening has co-written a few Simpsons books featuring her cartoon namesake. Nice. Yeah, there's some great books. I have a, uh, I had a few of the early Simpsons books because they were yeah. just like real fun yeah. trivia things. Yeah, and... yeah, yeah. They're super, yeah, they're super cool. Uh, the family was crudely drawn because Greening had submitted basic sketches to the animators, assuming they would clean them up. <laughs> yes. Instead, they just traced over his drawings. Lazy, but also respectful. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, they, I, yeah, respect to the animators for Could not ruining it. <laughs> yeah, like, are like, you sure this is the final do, product? Do you want or? us to make this look better? <laughs> clean it up, maybe? Uh, the entire Simpson family was designed so that they would be recognizable in silhouette. Ooh. Um, I will say, I, sorry, just to go back for a second. Mm-hmm. I will say, because I, I went back and I rewatched the first season, and I have not watched the first season in a long time. Sure. And the original animation style is a little distracting. Super rough. <laughs> it's a little distracting. I'll show his voice. His yeah. Very yeah. Young. Uh, it's yeah. Super Walter Matthau. Yeah, Boy, yeah, yeah. What are you doing? Get in it's here. It's really interesting. <laughs> um, and this is even, I'm not talking about the first actual season, not the Tracy Ullman Right, stuff. right. Yeah, yeah. Which is even more rough. Which is even rougher, yeah, yeah. You know, it was all like, it was very, it, the, that was the, the charm of it. It was very messy and floopy and floppy and yeah. it was squiggly and jiggly and, 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 and it just was weird. And it would just come in and, boy, come in here. <laughs> what is it, man? <laughs> what, what, man? Exactly. <laughs> the, okay, so the entire Simpson family was designed so they would be recognizable in silhouette. When Groening originally designed Homer, he put his own initials into the character's hairline and ear. Yeah. The hairline resembled an M, and the right ear resembled a G. Groening decided that this would be too distracting, though, and redesigned the ear to look normal. Uh, he still draws the ears G when he draws pictures of Homer for fans. Yeah, I'd like one of those. Ugh, I would too, man. Oh, I just want to point out uh, Adam is wearing a Duff <laughs> beer uh, watch cap. Yeah, you will have seen it in uh, our social medias. I guess uh, it's a beanie. I don't know why it's I a call beanie. it a watch cap. A watch it cap. Is a, I mean, it's technically a watch cap. Yeah, yeah. If, if I was from 1948. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Marge's distinct beehive hairstyle was inspired by Bride of Frankenstein and the style that Margaret Groening wore during the 1960s, Ooh. although her hair was never blue. But strangely, it was about eight inches taller than Marge's. <laughs> it was really it tall. It was huge. Yeah. yeah, they could never, they always had to do, you know, they had to flip the camera to the side <laughs> to take the pictures because of that do. Because it's so tall. Some would say it was a don't. Well. Not me. I loved it. <laughs> Bart's original design, which appeared in the first shorts, had spikier hair, and the spikes were of different lengths. Well, everything was kind of mishmash and moosh. You know, yeah. nothing really yeah. matched. It was just, it it really had this very uh, charming vibe of like, uh, this is a compliment, like a five-year-old drew the cartoon. Yeah. And, you know, it was like a five-year-old's, it, it reminded me of, of like if Bart drew it. I know he was yeah. older than five, like 10 or whatever. But it's like if Bart drew it and was making – it was like if a kid was making a cartoon about yeah. his family. And that's kind of the vibe of it. There was the something charm. very charming about it being so crudely drawn. and like, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they were – his hair was later limited to nine spikes, all the same size. At the time, Greening was primarily drawing in black and – Not thinking that he would eventually be drawn in color. Gave him spikes that appear to be an extension of his head. 
<laughs> well, all their hair is pretty good. Uh, yeah. Except homies. Uh, Lisa's physical features are generally not used in other characters. For example, in the later seasons, no character other than Maggie shares her hairline. While designing Lisa, graining... Couldn't be bothered to even think about girls' hairstyles. Which I don't even really know what that means. But... He's a sexist asshole. <laughs> but it sounds like it. I don't. I want to say he's not, but... I'm sure he's just I, joking. Yeah. When designing Lisa and Maggie, he... Just gave them the kind of spiky starfish hairstyle, not thinking that they would eventually be drawn in color. Yeah, he, he d- literally... It was just so hurried and rushed and just like, all right, whatever, I'm getting this down. Well, what is he... Th- is he in 1947 in the dawn of television? What, how does he think they're not going to be color cartoons on network TV? When was the last time? I mean, what is he thinking? <laughs> uh, I'm going to hazard a guess that he was just high a lot. <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> Graining storyboarded and scripted every short on the Tracy Ullman show, which were then animated by a team including David Silverman and Wes Archer, both of whom would later become directors on the series. Oh, yeah. The Simpsons shorts first appeared in the Tracy Ullman show on April 19th, 1987. Another family member, Grandpa Simpson, was introduced in the later shorts. (laughs) He's one of my favorite characters. Years later, during the early seasons of The Simpsons, when it came time to give Grandpa a first name, Groening says he refused to name him after his own grandfather, Abraham, leaving it to the other writers to choose a name. By coincidence... They chose Abraham, unaware that it was the name of his grandfather. Well, he didn't tell them that he didn't want Abraham, or he just said, you no, guys pick. He, I think he just said, you guys pick. Oh, that's funny. And they go, Abraham. And he goes, wow, that's goes, the one. I guess it's, <laughs> I guess it's fate. Uh-huh. <laughs> Although the Tracy Ullman show was not a big hit, the popularity of the shorts led to a half-hour spinoff in 1989. Yeah, her show was fine. But, you know... Uh, Dan Castaneda, who mm-hmm. played Homer Simpson, who who plays Homer Simpson, plays, yeah. who is one of the uh, another great voice actor. That when we do our voice actor mm-hmm. month, he'll be part of it with Mel Blanc. But uh, he was a, a player on the show because it was basically oh. a sketch show. Yeah. Sketch. Yeah. she did a lot of sketch comedy where she played a myriad of characters of all different nationalities and colors and flavors. <laughs> some successful, some so, not, some so very low. much not. Um, I like Tracy Ullman. She's very hit or miss for me. I like her more as an actress than I do her comedy. I think when she was yes. younger, her comedy was really spot on. But as she yeah. kind of got older, it dropped yeah. off a bit. But I love the Tracy Ullman show. I thought yeah, that it yeah. was really funny. I think, you know, it wasn't just the Simpsons that I enjoyed. I enjoyed right, the sketches right. and the players as well. A team of production companies adapted The Simpsons into a half-hour series for the Fox Broadcasting Company. The team included what is now the Klasky Supo Animation House. Uh, (laughs) Good for them. Good for them. Yeah. Klasky Supo went on to create other animated shows like Rugrats, Ah, Real Monsters, The Wild Thornberries, and Duckman. The Wild Thornberries. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, They. they, Duckman. Sorry. Duckman. Duckman was a really weird, good show with Jason Alexander and Duckman. It was on you. I think USA used to have yes. this weird yeah. block of animation. Yeah, because they, they. I mean, later they did. It was like the critic and stuff mm-hmm. was later. Um, but yeah, they they had a weird kind of alt comic or alt cartoon like block. It was an awesome time for that because yeah. uh, MTV had Liquid TV, oh, Liquid Television, Liquid was Television, my favorite and show. You had Duckman. You had all these adult. The Simpsons paved the way for all of this. Yes. By the way, it, yeah, you know, the yeah. Simpsons. Uh, it's so funny that the, the Fox Network was basically built on The Simpsons and Married with Children. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, mean, that's, totally. You know, and and you the, name one show 
that started on Fox that's still around. <laughs> the Simpsons. That's, that's it. it. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> well, you name one show that's on any network that started in the 1980s. Yeah, 60 Minutes. And it's not. Oh, they didn't start this. Oh, yeah, well, it started earlier, yeah. Uh, James L. Brooks negotiated it. Saturday Night Live. That's true. That is true. All right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> A James L. Brooks negotiated a provision in the contract with the Fox Network that prevented Fox from interfering with the show's content. Greatest thing you could ever do. Exactly. Ever have a show, put that in your clause, that they can't keep you from making fun of them. It was just like a perfect storm of events, too, because yeah. you couldn't do this with CBS or ABC or No, ABC. they would never have. This is a, they yeah. never would have said yes to this. This fledgling network needed a hit, so yeah. of course they're going to be like, whatever you want, buddy. Yeah. You yeah. have a proven record, Mr. Yeah, Brooks. We, we've been around for 10 years. How are you going to make fun of us? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, we, we literally have no identity. Like, what can you do? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Groening said his goal in creating the show was to offer the audience an alternative to what he called the mainstream trash that they were watching. Ooh, it is old. Yeah, a little. Uh, but hey, there was a lot of trash going on then. It was not that great. This was time like Family for, Matters, yeah. and Step by Step Time, and uh, what's that? Growing Pains, and well, I think Growing Pains was done by then, wasn't it? No, Growing Pains in the nineties, and it, it was the early nineties. There was one year where like Growing Pains and and all these eighty shows ended the same year. That's crazy that Growing Pains and The Simpsons were on at the same time. I'm almost positive. I think they ended around ninety one, if I remember right. Yes, that's when I, I remember the last episode of Growing Pains. The Rapture came, yeah, and uh, the father <laughs> who was, was the, who was left behind. The Jim. father was left behind <laughs> for all of his sinful deeds, and it was just the last ten minutes of the show was just him crying and trying to repent <laughs> for his sins. In a wasteland as, of hell. as a big as as Kirk Cameron in heaven looks down on him and and shakes his head in judgment, just holding a banana, going. Intelligent design! Intelligent design! It was weird. It was a departure from the show. Yes. And then Boner showed up and ruined everything. Uh... <laughs> See, this is the same, though, is that you have to remember that, like, Night Court ended in the early 90s. That's like, so it was a start in 1984, but, or 83, but it ran, like, 10 years, 9 years. Cheers and... ended in, what, 89? No, no, it ended in, like, 90 or 91. God, man. But that ran for... 11 years, didn't it? 11 years, yeah. I think. The half-hour series premiered on December 17th, 1989, with Simpsons roasting on an open fire, a Christmas special. Uh, Some Enchanted Evening was the first full-length episode produced, but it did not broadcast until May 1990 as the last episode of the first season because of animation problems. Oh, man, I remember this, too, because my friends and I loved The Simpsons shorts. Mm -hmm. In college, you know, we would watch the Tracy Ellen show specifically to see... The Simpsons, yeah, you know? of course. And then when the Simpsons, when they announced the show, we were just like, "What?" Yay. Yeah, so my buddy Sean and I, especially, you know, we just love the Simpsons so much. And then it happens, and we're like, "This is great!" And now they're going to do a series, which is even greater. Yeah. And then we find out well, you're not going to see anything for probably close to another year. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, oh, what? Yeah. The series quickly became a worldwide phenomenon to the surprise of many, uh, Greening said. Nobody thought The Simpsons was going to be a big hit. It sneaked up on everybody. The Simpsons was co-developed by Greening, Brooks, and Sam Simon, a writer-producer with whom Brooks had worked on previous projects. Now, this was unlike anything 
before it. There yeah. had been some, you know, there, there was a show that nobody remembers called Wait Till Your Father Gets yeah. Home, which was a... Early a, 70s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was an animated sitcom. I really dug it. I think Tom Bosley I, was the dad. The animation style in that was really cool. Yeah, it was a... Yeah. If you can, you can probably find it on YouTube or yeah. something, but, you know, check out an episode. It was, it's a very nice microcosm of the 70s. <laughs> but, uh, but there really wasn't an irreverent prime time family... A dysfunctional family like this. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You know, to the point where there was so much backlash from the right oh, yeah. and the religious right. Oh, yeah. and, and everybody's like, well, every, all the little boys are going to act like Bart and they're going to be yeah. little brats and they're going to, yeah. you know, carry, you know. And it's just, it was again, you know, that hysteria of, ooh, the children, <laughs> think of the children, which they parodied so well on that show yeah. and still do. Yeah. Well, that was that was the thing. It's the, the, the kind of the feel of sitcoms at the time on TV, like Family Matters and, or, Family ties mm-hmm. and uh, and growing pains and all that. Everything was just kind of bland. It was. Uh, I mean, and I loved Night Court, but it was bland. Sure, it was just kind of boring and like okay. They would have their occasional edgy episodes, like yeah. Family Ties, when Tom Hanks came on as the alcoholic uh, <laughs> uncle. You know, yeah, yeah. And, or and little he girl ended up would die. Yeah. I think. Oh really? Yeah, there was I something really messed up. About old Uncle Tom Hanks. They would, they would add characters in and, like, the little girl running away and, and growing pains or whatever. Like, it was... Well, they had to end up... Just, eh, there eh. was, like, the... Expir- when all the kids got ugly... Oh, okay, that's not a nice thing. <laughs> when all the kids started going through puberty and Getting older, aging yeah. as children do... Yeah, yeah. They always had to... It was called the Oliver effect. Yeah. It started with the Brady Bunch when they yeah. brought in Cousin Oliver when right, all the right. little kids were too – when they kept having to put – poor Cindy's like 17 and they have her still in pigtails <laughs> trying to make her look like she's 12. She's like – you know. Yeah, but yeah. So they always would bring in some child to try to save the show. That, Brian Bonzel, you know, that, all these kids. That is the time when the show needs to end. Yeah. <laughs> it does. But, it, but the thing is is that The Simpsons came in and even though it was this animated show, it felt – more real oh, yeah. than all these other shows did. Nobody, nobody had families like Family Ties and Growing Pains. Like that wasn't the common American family. But everybody had a dad that yelled at him, yeah. or a mom that gets upset, or you know, a brother that you know, might not have a soul. I mean, the way that they dealt with stuff was just so. You're right. It's it's the most fantastical, ridiculous looking animation that's dealing with some of the most realistic family drama. I mean, yes, yeah. Quite fantastical adventures well, that they course, go on. Of course, of course, because it's an animated show. You can, but the core of that show and the reason why it's lasted so long is because it's the love and the heart of the family. Yeah, yeah. As much as Homer loves to strangle Bart, <laughs> <laughs> why you little? And you know, and and they bicker and they and they disappoint each other and and they hurt each other just like every family does. Yeah, yeah. But they also forgive each other. Understand yeah. each other yeah. and atone for their mistakes and try yeah. to change. But they're human, so they can't really change. It's just really complicated yeah. in such a, a, a relatable way. Yeah, totally, totally. From the very beginning. Yeah. So Matt Groening and Sam Simon did not get along and were often in conflict over the show. Uh, Groening once described their relationship as... Very contentious. Simon eventually left the show in 1993 over creative differences. Um, a lot of people uh, credit the shaping of the show by, with, to Sam Simon. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Graining, obviously, it's, it's his show, sure. but, like, Sam Simon's the one that, that made it a workable show. Right, right, right. Yeah. I mean, it's it, you had to have some sort of structure. Yeah, You yeah. couldn't just have – the shorts were just as simple as the family taking a picture. 
Right. You it know, was, a family portrait. A one-sentence synopsis, yeah. and, and, and it plays out over five minutes. Yeah. Bart's making faces. We yeah. can all relate. You know, <laughs> I was yeah. the guy making faces that my, my, you know, oh, my yeah. mother got yeah. so mad at me for always making faces in pictures. <laughs> but you can't help it. You can't help it be funny. You can't help it, yeah. Although Groening has pitched a number of spinoffs from The Simpsons, those attempts have been unsuccessful. In 1984, Groening and other Simpsons producers pitched a live-action spinoff about Krusty the Clown Ooh. with Dan Castellaneta playing the lead role, Ooh. but were unsuccessful in getting it off the ground. It would be too creepy. It would be way too creepy. It'd be weird. It just... It, they did a lot of Simpsons spinoff shows yeah. within The Simpsons. They did like really fun yeah, episodes yeah. of, you know... Uh, Skinner, P.I. Yeah, or, you yeah. Know, where they would yeah. like take the characters and, and yeah, it'd be and, like parody stuff. And, it's a spinoff yeah. spectacular. They would do all yeah. these really fun kind of yeah. shows that they could explore that stuff in the universe. But that stuff would work for seven minutes, right? But Not, the, you can't, yeah. can't. All the supporting characters of The Simpsons are great. They're yeah. they're very well defined. They have they have depth. They have yeah. Well, you got 33 years to explore your character. Right, but like even from gonna, the beginning, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, Barney's a drunk, but Barney also is a, str- he's a, is a tortured artist, and Barney right. also has feelings, right. and Moe is an ugly troll, but Moe but Mo wants love. Yeah, you know, there's, yeah. Every supporting character has depth, and they're well-rounded, and they, they've had their own storylines and whatever, but yeah, I don't think yeah. any of them can sustain themselves without the Simpsons. Yes. You know, because there's, there's, you know, there's the great thing about the spinoff shows is the Simpsons was always show up and they'd be like, right. oh, well, maybe we could come, you know, yeah, maybe we could yeah. return the favor. And they're like, mm, I don't think so. <laughs> but, but it's, uh, yeah, I think. He, he did, he tried to do a spinoff of, of the non-Simpsons citizens of Springfield mm-hmm. and it never happened. Uh, along with a young Homer uh, series about him being a, a teenager. Um, which never happened either, obviously. No, because we see it anyway. Yeah, you yeah. Know? It's explored I mean, within yeah. the series. Yeah. You know, and it's just a funny thing is like every every time they do a teenager episode in each decade, you know, it's like it's it's <laughs> yeah, so yeah. it's so the most disconcerting thing is getting old with the Simpsons because yeah. I was a teenager when the Simpsons started. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and now I'm an old man. <laughs> And so it's like I'm older than oh, Homer. Yeah, yeah, I'm almost yeah. getting to Abe Simpson's age. But it's like, you know, when I when I started watching The Simpsons, the Homer stuff would go back to like the sixties. You know. Yeah. The, you yeah. Know, that that yeah. would be when, you know Early seventies. Yeah, early seventies when they disco. when they were doing their thing. And uh <laughs> And now it's like now it's the nineties or, or the aughts where they're like yeah. back and being young and it's just so it just makes you feel a little old. <laughs> in 1995, Greening got into a major disagreement with Brooks and other Simpsons producers over A Star is Burns, a crossover episode with The Critic, an animated show that also produced by Brooks and staffed with many former Simpsons crew members. Greening claimed that he feared viewers would see it as nothing but a pathetic attempt to advertise The Critic at the expense of The Simpsons and was concerned about the possible implication that he had created or produced The Critic. I thought he did. I mean, because it has the same basic animated style. It's I thought I definitely thought the graining was involved with it. Yeah, you know, it, yeah, it, it it didn't try to no it dissuade people no, from thinking that. No. And he's right. I mean, I enjoyed the critic. The critic was a good show. Yeah, it was funny. It was nowhere near as good as The Simpsons. No. and no. Uh, I 100% agree with him. Yeah, that you know, he's just protective of his property. Yeah, and he doesn't want. I get it. You know. Yeah, yeah. The critic isn't Simpsons. No, it's no, the it's same not. Same friggin' it's joke not. over and over again. It's, yeah, you know, it's a 
a fat little film critic who likes to eat and hates <laughs> and everything. Be angry, yeah, it yeah. stinks, it stinks. But it was funny. I mean, John Lovitz is, is a very funny guy, sure, so it sure. worked. But it's just, I get it. So he requested his name be taken off the episode. Uh, Groening wrote a handful of episodes in the Simpsons movie. He appeared in the show a couple of times as himself. He currently serves as the Simpsons. Uh, sorry, he currently serves at the Simpsons as an executive producer and creative consultant. So I got a kind of funny story about the Simpsons movie, if I could tell it really quickly. Sure. So I was so excited to see the Simpsons movie. Yeah, yeah. and uh, my friend Darren, uh, oh, my buddy Darren, uh, he got tickets, and we were going to go the opening night, and we had some great seats, and I was shooting the short film. And I did this scene where it was a fight scene. Okay. And I got thrown into this bookcase full of dolls. And one of the dolls was a porcelain doll. And I led with my elbow. And I smashed into the porcelain doll and just ripped my elbow to shreds. Oh, no. And I'm sitting there. And it's bloody and it's nasty. And the director's like, I think it'll be okay. And her husband, <laughs> uh, my buddy, uh, this is Greg, is like, No. We got to take him to the hospital. <laughs> and so they, I'm like, oh, but I got the Simpsons. Yeah. And so they take me to the hospital and I get stitched up and they give me these drugs. And, but I still, I'm like, I'm going. And Darren's like, are you sure that you want to go, man? Because, you know, no, I'm going. And we had plans to go to dinner and then go to the thing. So I go to dinner and I'm drinking wine, taking pain pills. I'm not thinking about it. And I'm not really eating. And we get to the theater and we sit down. And all of a sudden, man. I feel the life draining from my body. <laughs> I have never been more thirsty in my entire life. Oh, wow. It was the worst feeling. I was like, and, and I was like four, you know, trapped in the yeah, middle of the yeah, aisle. There's yeah. no way to get out to, to rectify this. And luckily Darren saw me. He's like, what the hell, man? I was like, <laughs> so he got me some water and I ended up watching the movie. It was, I, I was just, I, I didn't. I was fuzzy for like the first ten minutes of the movie. Oh, okay. I was going in and out, and then I I somehow regained you got, got com- your, my composure yeah. and consciousness and, and watched the movie, which your was awesome. Need and will to watch the movie. Yeah, one man, out. nothing's gonna, not even stitches, are gonna keep me from no, seeing the simps. No. So after spending a few years researching science fiction, Groening got together with Simpsons writer-producer David X. Cohen, uh, known as David S. Cohen at the time, in 1997 and developed Futurama, an animated series about life in the year 3000. By the time they pitched the series to Fox in April 1998, Groening and Cohen had composed many characters and storylines. Groening claimed they had gone overboard in their discussions. Groening described trying to get the show on the air as... By far the worst experience of my grown-up life. The show premiered on March 28th, 1999. After four years on the air, the show was canceled by Fox. You know, it's funny. I, as much of a fan of The Simpsons and mm-hmm. Matt Groening, I didn't watch it. Oh, really? I didn't. I think I watched the first episode and was like, not for me. Wow. I didn't really care for, for Fry. But years later, when I became a DVD-aholic, yeah, and yeah. I was going every Tuesday to you know do release day, stuff, yeah. I ended up just on a whim buying the seasons of Futurama because mm-hmm. the packaging was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I started watching, I really dug it and I, and the, and I finally got in and it was like, okay, this is great. Yeah. This yeah. is really fun. That was a, uh, in a situation similar to family guy. However, strong DVD sales and very stable ratings on adult swim brought Futurama back to life. Yeah. I was, it's funny that you say that you weren't, cause I was the exact opposite. I actually at the time liked Futurama more than the Simpsons. A lot of people did. It, cause it was science fiction and I was yeah. a huge nerd and, and it was like, oh, they can do anything and it's yeah. fun, you know, but, uh, but it also had 
you know, 10 years of The Simpsons being honed to be able to do that. And as a Simpsons super fan, it's really – there was so much expectation for this series yes, yes. on my, you know, unfairly oh, sure. so. Of course, of course. When Comedy Central began negotiating for the rights to air Futurama reruns, Fox suggested that there was a possibility of also creating new episodes. When Comedy Central committed to 16 new episodes, it was decided that four straight-to-DVD films would be produced. Nice. Bender's Big Score in 2007, The Beast with a Billion Backs in 2008, Bender's Game in 2008, and Into the Wild Green Yonder in 2009. Since no new Futurama projects were in production, the movie Into the Wild Green Yonder was designed to stand as the Futurama series finale. Cool. However, Groening had expressed a desire to continue the Futurama franchise in some form, including as a theatrical film. Comedy Central commissioned an additional 26 new episodes and began airing them in 2010. Comedy Central announced in April 2013 that they would not be renewing it beyond its seventh season. The final episode aired on September 4th, 2013. But ten years later, Futurama got picked up again by Hulu and is going to have a 2023 release. I love this. I love the fact that nothing can die now. <laughs> there are so many streaming services and such a need for content that they're just bringing crap yeah. back. Uh, so Graining and Deborah Kaplan divorced in 1999. During all of this, Graining had been producing the Life in Hell comic strip. Uh, he did comic strips every every week. Yep. Although Greening previously stated... I'll never give up the comic strip. It's my foundation. June 16th, 2012, the strip marked Life in Hell's conclusion. Dope! Yeah. At the end of its run, Life in Hell was carried by 250 weekly newspapers and has been anthologized in a series of books, including School is Hell, Childhood is Hell, The Big Book of Hell, and The Huge Book of Hell. I need to get The Huge Book of Hell. I have all the other Book of Hells. Somewhere. Oh, yeah? Yes. Yeah. After Greening ended the strip, the Center for Cartoon Studies commissioned a poster that was presented to him in honor of his work. The poster contained tribute cartoons by 22 of Greening's cartoonist friends who were influenced by Life in Hell. Nice. Yeah. I'm sure that thing's worth a pretty penny. Hey, it'd be so cool. How cool would it be to get, like, the greatest artists yeah. of your medium to create a poster for you? Yeah. It's Just like, you and your characters. You, you inspired us. Here's something we're doing for so you. Rad. Yeah, it's pretty cool. In 2011, Graining married Argentine artist Augustina Picasso after a four-year relationship and became stepfather to her daughter, Camila. What a great stepdad. Oh, yeah, be a great stepdad. Yeah. Uh, in May 2013, Picasso gave birth to Nathaniel Philip Picasso Graining, named after writer Nathaniel West. She joked that his godfather is Spongebob's creator, Stephen Hillenburg. <laughs> in 2015, Groening's daughters, Luna Margaret and India Mia, were born. And in 2018, he became the father of twins for a second time when his wife gave birth to Saul, Matthew, and Venus Ruth. Okay, enough with the names, guys. But here's the thing, and the reason I included all this is because at this point now, I believe that he has seven biological children and one stepchild. And he's, what, 60-something? Yes. <laughs> and he's still having twins and babies? He had twins four years ago. He's got to be almost 70 now. Wow. Uh, it's too much. Too much. Uh, I mean, look, he can afford it. I don't... Of course. As long as you can afford to give children a great life, I don't care how many kids you have. Eddie Murphy's yeah. got a ton of kids. Yeah. yeah. He's got a ton of kids. Mel Gibson's got a ton of kids. Those probably not as happy as Matt Groening's kids or <laughs> Eddie Murphy's kids, but still. But I'm just saying, as long as you can take care of your kids, have as many as you want. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 
Uh, Graining plays the drums in the all-author rock and roll band, The Rock Bottom Remainders. Guess who else is in that? He's listed as the cowbell player. Other members include... Dave Barry, Ridley Pearson, Scott Turow, Amy Tan, James McBride, Mitch Album, Roy Blunt Jr., Stephen Emmer Effin King, Kathy Kamen, Goldmark, Sam Barry, and Greg Isles. It's uh, so many people. I'm just like, wow. Like, they just really, it's like, whoever wants to jump in, let's do yeah, it. Yeah, I, I, I love most of those authors. I don't know if I'd want to see them. I guess I would want to see them perform. I would. Yeah, yeah why yes. not? I mean, I, I mean, God knows they, they're probably not great, but no, maybe because fun to see. I mean, many of them are septuagenarians. <laughs> <laughs> They're definitely old now. But but this is the thing is that, like, Stephen King, he's a huge music nerd. Oh, my God. So, like, yeah. he, it would be fun to watch them of play. Of course it would. Yeah. I, I would not turn down an opportunity to see the Rock Bottom Remainders. Ugh, what an awful name for the band, though, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. I it's don't so know where that came from. It's literary. It came – it probably came from Scott Terrell. <laughs> or Mitch Album, yeah, he, sure, who sure. did the uh, he did the Tuesdays with Barry. That was Mitch Album. I don't know if you remember that. Oh, it was Tuesdays in. with Maury. Uh, sorry, Tuesdays with Maury. <laughs> I wrote Tuesdays with Barry. Yeah, no, I which remember is a book about me Maury. just watching the TV show Barry. Nice. Yeah, on Tuesdays, I I hope <laughs> only on Tuesdays. Okay, Otherwise, why would it be Tuesdays I know, I'm with Barry? It's, yeah. Okay. Uh, Groaning, Groaning currently has the fantasy animated show Disenchantment streaming on Netflix. Great show. has gotten better with every season. The latest season is really tight. I still need to watch the new, the newest 10 episodes. Uh, Groaning described the fantasy-oriented series as originating in a sketchbook full of... Fantastic creatures we couldn't do on The Simpsons. And it's true. And yeah. It's, yeah. It's, uh, it's got Abby Jacobson from Broad City. She's hilarious as the lead. It's got Andre, Eric Andre, Eric Andre uh, as uh, the little weird demon guy. Uh, Nat Faxon. Uh, yeah, he's, he's really funny. Fantastic. Uh, he's so, so oh my God, I love him, especially when he plays those dumb parts. And, yeah. And, and you know what I love about him? He never got his teeth fixed. <laughs> and I'm sure that he did it because it adds so much to the characters that he does. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Of course, I love of course. that guy. He's so he's fantastic. It's it's a great show. It's also uh, got Bender. It's also got yeah John DiMaggio, John DiMaggio Billy West, Tress McNeil, uh, Matt Berry, who's hysterical. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. It's it's a great show, and it's it's a good fantasy show. I mean, mm-hmm. it's 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 like the, I want to say The Simpsons in a fantasy world because it's not. No, but like it's a little bit more dark. It's a yeah. little bit more uh, dramedy, I guess. Yeah, if it, I would. Yeah, ghosts be so bold. As to well, say? It, it definitely has like the because they released it in ten episode chunks. Mm-hmm. It definitely has an ongoing plot, yeah. which The Simpsons doesn't have. It's a through story. Yeah, yeah. That, you know, we're learning more about our main characters and where they came from and stuff. And you know, a lot of it is not fun to learn for them. So it's it's yeah, it's uh, it's funny and it's interesting. It's well written, really well acted. It's definitely worth a binge. Uh, so over the course of his career, uh, Matt Greening has been nominated for the Emmy 43 times. Good God. And has won it 13 times. Is that a record, 43? Um, I don't – I don't know. That I don't have that information. I mean, but, it's got to be close. But literally The Simpsons gets – essentially pretty much every year gets nominated for Outstanding Animated Program. It deserves it. I yeah. Look, I, like I said – I have never missed an episode of The Simpsons. Yeah. And I I know I'm a super fan and call me what you will, but there are very few episodes that I've been disappointed in. 
a show that can have 718 episodes, yeah. and I can think of maybe a handful, maybe five, that yeah. I don't really like. Yeah. And even the ones yeah. that I don't really like, they're not horrible. No, no. Well, there's Lisa episodes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's be honest. But, yeah, I mean, it's still such high quality, and if you're bitching about it, you're not watching it. And you can catch it all on Disney+. Plus. They have all... Uh, I do, Except for the I, latest. I, yeah. I do. I want to say I think there's a couple episodes they don't have, but I think it's for whatever maybe, political reasons. Maybe yeah. they whitewashed a little bit of The Simpsons. Yeah. Who knows? But check it out. If you haven't seen The Simpsons, yeah. then yeah. you're, what, been living in a cave for your entire <laughs> life? Um, yeah, but it's not. Sometimes animation isn't for everybody. But It's like, not just, for my sister. It, my, I, check I, it out. I yeah. bet you my sister's never seen an episode yeah. of The Simpsons. She doesn't like animation. Yeah. It breaks Phoebe, my heart, but Phoebe, you know. Phoebe's the same way. She doesn't like adult animation. She she prefers like the Disney stuff, which sure. is great. And, yeah. and some of that is, but she just you know doesn't. It's not something that appeals to her. And, and I get it's it. Like okay, yeah. You know, uh, my sister's a lot smarter than I am. She actually grew <laughs> up to become an adult, so uh, yeah. I get her point of view, and I love her. Um, but yeah, it's just uh, I can't get enough of cartoons, man. And I tell you. It's going to be really, really weird to not have The Simpsons around, man. Yeah. Once they cancel that in 2056. uh, We're definitely getting, I think, at least two more years. uh, Look, it's going to keep going. Yeah, yeah. Until, you know, one of the main characters dies. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because unfortunately, at, you know, it's like at that point, it's going to be what? You, yeah, we yeah. lost Mrs. Krabappel. Yeah, uh, we, we lost Phil Hartman. We lost Phil Hartman. You know, there's some some great voice actors. That yeah, have, man, you look in the early episodes, and I, like Johnny Car, like everybody's dead. There's Johnny Carson. Yeah, there's, yeah. You know, it's hey, hey Bogota. Um, but that it's. That was always my biggest dream was to be a voice on The Simpsons, yeah. you know. And one of our friends actually, that was actually, yeah, uh, uh, John friend John, Lippow. John yeah, Lippow just and actually is going to be on two episodes. I know, I'm like so unbelievably excited, impressed, and just it, jelly gels. It could not have happened to a nicer guy. No, he He's deserves so it. Super yeah. talented, and uh, and I'm so happy for him. And it's just like the only thing is like I don't. I don't want anybody I know to be on the Simpsons because it takes me out of <laughs> yes, my yes, yes. Uh, my pure just immersion. But I will watch the Simpsons. I will never miss an episode. Uh, I, I, I I'm going to do a, a rewatch through, but man, that's a daunting yeah, undertaking. Yeah, this isn't about the Simpsons. It's about Matt Groening. And yeah, and I'm uh, again. Here's a guy like Charles Schultz, who created something. Just out of his brain, yeah, that became yeah. a billion dollar oh yeah industry Huge. an industry, Huge. not just a you know not just a cartoon but books and video games and t shirts and merchandise I mean the merchandising was just so disgusting and so Ugh. out there that they since so had to make fun of it much you so know? much everybody had it don't worry, don't have a cow, don't have a cow man, sure yeah. or you know. Cowabunga dude. Cowabunga dude. In its heyday, it was everywhere, man. It was it was huge. And it's still yeah. really popular. I mean, people love it's a comfort, man. <laughs> Go back and watch it. It's comfort food. Yeah. But I just am so impressed with him. And I and again, I'll, I just want to reiterate, it's my favorite story of the beginning of any show ever because yeah. it's literally the last minute. Yeah. And yeah. it, 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 it proves the procrastinator's right. Exactly. <laughs> if you're talented and you you can get it done no matter what. And it's just an afterthought 
is the most <laughs> successful television show in history. I yep. just love it. I love it so much, and I love him. All right, we'll be back next week. We we'll have a stepdad show. We're gonna talk more about animation. Oh and yeah, fun stuff that we yes. like. All right, well, thanks for listening. Marge's distinct behavior. Oh, so, ooh. There's depth there. Uh, now I lost my train of thought. Motorcycle. motorcycle. She joked that. His godfather is SpongeBob creator Steven Hillenburg. I don't know what the <laughs> accent that was. That's what she <laughs> joked, right? <laughs> yeah. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming, The Six Billion Dollar Man, already in progress.